Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Leo Alduayan, uh, the COO and founder of Coibanks, K-O-I-B-A-N-X.com. Leo, how are you doing? Hi, Richard. Thank you very much for having me. I'm doing great. How about you? Good. I'm doing good. So tell me um, tell me about Coibanks. What, what do you guys do there? Okay, so actually we started Coibanks uh, on early 2015 with the vision of democratizing the access to financial services. You know, we have this uh, this paradigm, this status quo that is uh, governing us right now, where financial services are only offered to a bunch of the population, a small percentage, percentage, especially in some areas of the world, such as Latin America, where we are currently based in Asia, and of course, uh, developed uh, countries, for instance, in Africa. So in Coibanks, we use blockchain technology and smart contracts to without losing security financial processes. You know, when, for instance, when you open a bank account, when you order a credit card, there's a whole bunch of procedures that go through uh, that take a number of resources and time that with this new technology, we can make more efficient and at the same time, uh, cheaper in terms of cost. So you deal with people that I guess are called unbanked or underbanked or they're unbankable, right? Exactly. We we see when we created Coibanks, we we envisioned ourselves as a tech company. We are not building the bank of the future, as many others are uh, arguing right now. We position ourselves as partners to the current financial industry. We have the means, we have the know-how, we have the expertise in this uh, cut of the edge technology that will allow them to take their businesses to this new sector. So, what are what are some of the Let's talk about the unbanked. I don't know if people listening know much about them because they may not be. Mm-hmm. So um, in the U.S., you know, if you're unbanked, it means you can't get a bank account um, for whatever reason, and you have to rely on like auto title loans or payday loans or pawn shops or barter. What's it like in Latin America? Exactly. Well, in the U.S., you, in the states, you have a particular situation. You know, there's a there's this number, this statistic that you have more credit cards issued than people actually living in the U.S. We are talking about uh, working population, right? In Latin America, uh, the picture is entirely the other way around. You have a lot of people that they're actually not in poverty situation. They have capital, they have an income, an actual income, but this is called informal income or informal capital. These are uh, 
craftsmen, they are street sellers. There are a lot of people that do not have uh, what we would call um, properly declared fiscal situation, but they have income and they can, in most cases, they have in sometimes a more liquid situation than people who are already who already belong to the financial system. So what's the deal with these people? When they go to a bank or to any financial institution, these uh, this institutions do not have the means to assess and to measure the risk of working with these people. Why is that? Because they do not have, um, they do not have a, an income receipt. They do not have a track record of how they behave financially in the, let's call them the official uh, record-keeping organizations. They don't have right. a formal title for their houses or their cars, so they have nothing to offer as a collateral but their word. So what we do is we bring all these transactions or we provide the, the tools through smartphones for, for them to save all of their financial behavior into this distributed and extremely highly secure database that is the blockchain. So anyone can make a consultation to the blockchain and see how any regular Joe behaves financially. And perhaps this track record, this reputation, this scoring system that you're building might end by being more interesting than what your passport says of who you are. So you're helping people essentially create a credit history so they can get loans exactly. and they can you know, finance houses and all that stuff. Exactly. That's one of our, that's one of our pillars of what we built. Uh, because in order for you to get a loan, if you are if you belong to the unbanked percentage of the population right now, getting your your credit, your credit, your scoring, it's only one of the issues. The other issue is when do you go? Where do you go to uh, to file for this loan, or where do you go to receive the cash? You know, if I don't know any bank you'd like opens a branch um, in an emergency town, they probably will be already losing money in the very in the very first day. Because you need uh, enough cash flow to to balance the ATMs, you need to hire staff, you need to all the inputs and different resources to keep the branch going. So what we are offering is the possibility of receiving this loan, this credit, uh, these payments on the smartphones. You know that it's. I mean, I'm not discovering anything, but each year more and more people have a smartphone on their hands. So if you could convert your smartphone into, a, into your mobile bank account somehow, into a virtual account, you could receive this value on your smartphone and you could cash it through our platform. We have uh, connected APIs with different uh, kind of 7-Eleven stores uh, or kiosks and they receive the digital value for you and they exchange it for fiat currency, for bills basically. So with these notes, with these bills, you then go and you use the money any way you like. Well, okay. So we've got two different things here. We've got building the credit history, essentially, and that's going to be on a, a blockchain. And then we have a payment system. Are you going to tie the two together? And what kind of um, – are you going to just use fiat for the payment system or Bitcoin, or what are you going to use? What we use here, it's not, um, it's not Bitcoin directly, you know, because Bitcoin, um, I personally – this is a personal opinion – I believe that Bitcoin is – Nowadays, one of the best means to store value in the long term, but in the short term, you have a lot of volatility. So if you want to issue a loan or if you have to pay interest rates and you're exposed to this volatility, uh, it's something that is probably not desirable. So what we are using instead of Bitcoin 
it's creating what we call uh, digital tokens or different cryptocurrencies, which are sponsored in economic terms by the, our clients. Let's say Bank X decides to hire our services, so we create the Bank X coin. How will this work? For instance, this bank could deposit a collateral of, let's say, a million dollars in, in the Fed. It has a certified deposit for the million dollars, and he issues a million crypto coins of this, uh, of this currency we are, we are creating. So we know that each, of, each one of these currencies is worth $1. Why? Because this bank says it, and it shows that it has a collateral. So this cryptocurrency travels through the blockchain. We use here is where, where we apply the smart contracts technology. Most of our, of our solutions are built over RSK blockchain, uh, which enables you to create a new cryptocurrency which works with the rules and parameters you define. So you're taking people's fiat and tokenizing it, essentially, and making a unique cryptocurrency that's only used within your system? Exactly. Uh, I mean, in the long term, we are actually hoping that different cryptocurrencies will be uh, exchangeable for each other, you know? Bank X cryptocurrency will have an equivalency with the other bank cryptocurrency, or maybe we could get into a point where all banks come together into unify, uh, let's say, a crypto dollar, which is worth and accepted worldwide. Why not? Um, but for the time being, in this short term, we still need of some intermediaries, uh, these being people who are, who are willing to take this cryptocurrency and exchange it for fiat currency. And at the same time, not all players, not all stakeholders in the financial system are willing to, to enter the crypto world yet. So till this happens, you need these intermediaries to take fiat into crypto. And at the same time, you need uh, some of the institutions that are willing to enter into the crypto space to issue their own unique cryptocurrency. Well, why, why don't you guys um, you know, take payments in fiat, convert them through Bitcoin back to fiat, and then you know, it could be used with all kinds of merchants and places, and they wouldn't really even know that they're using, let's say, Bitcoin as a payment rail. Is there too much volatility and risk for you to be the, the exchanger, essentially? That's, uh, I mean, it's a possibility. We, we actually discussed it in our early beginnings. Uh, it's something we are not completely ruling out for the future, but uh, as I told you earlier, for the time being, we see a certain amount of risk on being us who handle this, this exchange because we should be in custody of, uh, of money or value, uh, to, to be politically correct, not actually money, but of value from third parties. And you know that from a regulatory point of view, in order for you to be able to do that, you have to become either a licensed financial institution or a money transmitter. So there's a number of, of regulatory barriers there that we should go through, and it's not profitable for us right now. Uh, on the other hand, banks and financial institutions already have this, this licensing, and some of them are, are already willing to take the risk and to act as these intermediaries. And they probably know better than we do. I mean, they have been in the business for, I don't know, let's say more than, more than 100 years, most of them. So uh, that's, that's their added value here. Have you proposed this system to many financial institutions and what's their feedback on it so far? We actually have. I mean, two of our 
first clients are financial institutions here in Latin America. One of them is the second largest bank in, in Colombia. Uh, the first one was uh, a credit card here in Argentina, the largest credit card here in Argentina, which, which is actually issued here. I mean, I'm leaving out of the out of the contest Visa and Mastercard, obviously. Uh, you know, there's a lot of hype in the ecosystem, and a lot of financial institutions are seeing this with very good perspectives. I mean, they have already seen what happened in the music industry with Napster, MI. They have already seen what happened in the entertainment industry, let's say Kodak, Blockbuster, now you have Netflix, Spotify, uh, and they, the, trans, the transportation industry with Uber, Airbnb, and they are aware of that. So they have like this dilemma of continue to make money because their current system brings a lot of income for them, a lot of profit, but at the same time, they are very well aware of that what's coming and the financial industry is going to be uh, democratized and revolutionized somehow. And they want to be a part of it. They want to take an in. So we see there our, our primary business opportunity, you know, like connecting the two sides, like the revolutionizing disruption world of startups and tech innovation with the know-how and the, uh, let's say, the current paradigm that bankings are domaining. What about tying together your um, credit history system with purchases? You know, if you did that, then when people go to purchase an item, you know, not just get a loan, you know, they could essentially have a, a buyer's history with them that may make them look good or favorable. You know, companies may want to deal with people that have a good history, <coughs> even when buying small items. Have you thought about tying the two together, the payments and the history? Exactly, and I like your question very much, Richard, because uh, either you have already studied what we do or you got it right away, so thanks for bringing that up. The main asset behind this idea is that you're creating your own blockchain identity somehow. We are starting just with your credit score reputation, but you could get different inputs to your, this blockchain entity that you're creating. For instance, your purchase record, as you very well said, uh, my geolocation, my relationships with, uh, I don't know, my suppliers, family, whatever input you want to put, you can throw it, down in, uh, throw it into this blockchain identity. And the key, uh, the key difference between the, the, cor the current status quo is that it's, it's yourself who is going to define what inputs you share with whom. For instance, you want to apply to a loan? Okay, I own, I'm only sharing my uh, scoring reputation. I'm going to buy in Amazon, let's say. I want to share my purchase reputation. Uh, perhaps eBay says, if you have a purchase reputation higher than uh, most of the average, I can make you a discount. So you're interested in sharing your, your reputation with them. So the main, what's, what's really the difference or, or the, the, the value added here is that the user itself has control of its information. Instead of being the banks, the credit card companies, the stores, you have control of your own information and you share it with them only if you see a benefit in it. That makes sense. What, um, and you mentioned, you know, you gave me a thought. You mentioned eBay and Amazon and all that. I mean, I guess, you know, you don't want to start your reputation from scratch. So maybe you could leverage off uh, your existing reputation on one of those platforms. Exactly. Uh, that's actually something we are currently working in with one of the largest e-commerce companies here in Argentina. Um, <clears throat> not only in Argentina, but in Latin America, sorry. 
the idea is that the reputation of this e-commerce platform, it's um, an available input for you to build in your credit score reputation. So, yeah, what, um, <clears throat> what do you see are the most useful places to use to build your reputation, specifically in Latin America where you guys are focused? You know, I only have my U.S. perspective, so I know that it's different <laughs> here. But what are people, uh, what's very useful reputation-wise there? You know, same thing, bank account, or is it other, other methods, eBay? I mean, of course, uh, bank accounts and official credit bureaus are, are a desirable reputation feed. I mean, we all consult them. We all rely on them at some point. Uh, and then you have what I like to call uh, informal or street reputation indexes. One of them is the one that you pointed out. Uh, e-commerce companies, particular, in particular, this one that is the largest here in Latin America, uh, it's practical, practically a monopoly. Uh, the reputation you have there as a seller or as a buyer, it also counts. And then you have like this uh, new feed for social or economic reputation that are social networks. I could say uh, that if you had your Facebook account with, I don't know, 5,000 friends and that you have created it since uh, 07 and you have never been suspended and you have certain interests interest there, for instance, I don't know, you read economic papers, you read a different, you read Bloomberg or something like that, I could say, or I could deduce that you have certain amount of interest, knowledge, reputation in some areas. So if you gave me your password as a collateral, uh, I could say that that adds you X amount of reputation. So what stage are you at with all this? You know, what, what's further along? Is the credit and reputation blockchain with the shared shareable identity further along or is it the payment methods you know have you built up a network of people that are willing to accept payments in this token that you're working on you know where are you at with everything okay so as a company we just closed our our second pre-seed investment round so we have now uh you know the the ease of mind to work heavily on what's coming to us so far we've closed uh, three clients all of them, all of them at a beta stage, as we like to call them. It's like this pilot test we are creating for them to test our technology for their security teams to assess us, to evaluate us, to see if we are compatible with their pipeline and their vision. Um, hopefully, uh, first Q 2018, we'll be launching our commercial products with them. Uh, this would say, so far, these beta or pilots are in closed communities. Uh, for instance, a small town in, in Colombia, a couple of businesses here in Argentina with this credit card. Uh, we are looking forward to expand in the, commercial, in the commercial launch, expand these small pilots into a larger network, uh, let's say at, at the least a regional at a state level, uh, what we are building with them. And of course, once, uh, well, you know, Richard, how this works, once uh, you close a couple of deals, competition starts starts coming up. So if you close a deal with a credit card company, the other one wants to know what you're doing and why they are being left out. So there are some interesting times we have ahead, and we are very optimistic about it. What uh, countries uh, do you think you're first going to get into, and what areas? You know, Where is this going to start? Which ones are the most receptive? Mm-hmm. Okay, so contrary to, and again, this is a personal belief, but contrary to what I, what we are already used to, uh, this type of solution, so specific and targeted, 
probably won't race from Europe or or the States as we are used to. Why is that? Because in the States or in Europe, it's really easy to access to a credit card, to a loan. I mean, the traditional solutions for this type of problem are already being taken care of. So in my opinion, emerging economies such as Latin America, Asia, uh, will be the, the niche and have the conditions to see birth of this new disruption in financial industry. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the reason why is I look at Latin America, South America, you know, Venezuela obviously is probably not going to be the leader. Unfortunately, they need help, but other countries maybe. Mm -hmm. So I just wonder if there's any, you know, there's any particular country you deal with that you see is like chomping at the bit and is most likely something, if anything, at first. You know? Well, here in Argentina, you have very good conditions. You know, we changed our government. Uh, almost two years ago, with a new, a new, mo a new mentality, they are more open. They are seeking innovation. Even the central bank here in Argentina has opened what they call their innovation table, and they have invited several entrepreneurs. One of our co-founders is part of this table. Uh, they are they are eager to learn about blockchain, about AI, new technologies. Brazil, it's also interesting to, to keep an eye on Latin America. I mean, they're the largest country. They have the largest market, uh, the largest finance uh, funding resources. So I would say here in Latin America, perhaps Brazil, Argentina, maybe Colombia. And if you go to Central America, Mexico, it's always, uh, it's always an interesting market. So close to the state, it has a lot of you know, culture, cultural exchange with the United States uh, in terms of com consuming uh, different types of products and finance, obviously, is not left out. And another area that we have been, we have been working with, and it's really interesting, it's everything that is happen, happening in, let's say, the, the, Gulf, the Arab Gulf region. Uh, we've been there in early this year in Dubai. Uh, the Dubai government, it's really pushing and promoting all blockchain initiatives and innovations. So they have a lot of resources. They have a much more agile government structure since they are so vertical, and that gives them a head start at the moment of, of trying to implement new solutions. Okay. So you're open to working with, you know, whichever government's going to be most welcoming, and it's not really going to be uh, restricted only to one geography. No, of course not. Of course not. Uh, we have a, of course, we have a particular interest in seeing Latin America take the lead of this, you know, as Latin American ourselves, we would be really proud of helping and collaborating with. Uh, but at the same time, we are actively looking at partnerships or, or, you know, smart investors or smart clients that can help us take our solutions to the next level and different regional areas. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. All right. So what, uh, what do you expect going to happen in the next six months to a year? What kind of uh, milestones do you guys have and what's on your roadmap? What do you plan to do? Six months to a year. Okay, that's really a, a tricky question. You know, if you had asked me that uh, uh -oh. six months ago, probably my my answer would have been very different of what I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, okay. Truth to be told, the the whole picture and the ecosystem is so dynamic; it's uh, changing every now and then. Uh, you know, a couple of a couple of weeks ago, we have on the news J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon saying that Bitcoin was a whole bubble and the crypto space had no future. And two weeks after that, we had JP Morgan investing in one of the biggest blockchain exchange companies in the States. So <laughs> these ups and downs, 
they're a, they're a reality. They happen. So one time you get a very interesting meeting, and for a political reason, the next day uh, that meeting didn't go through, and the other way around as well. But to sum up, I'll say that our expectations is to be in the next year with at least uh, 10 different commercial launches over over the region, and hopefully one or two uh, abroad Latin America, uh, as I told you before. The Arab Gulf region is something that we have already been working with, and we're expecting some outcome from there. And why not uh, Europe, or the, Europe or the States, maybe? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I know everyone has to pivot as the market changes, but I just wanted to get a sense of where you guys are going. So, We have our in-house team that is continuously working on developing our technology, and our commercial team is more active than ever. We are reaching at every door we have. So far, that brought us our first five actual sales. In the next six months, that should be at least doubled. Uh, but I'm, as I told you before, this is so changing that I like to be conservative. Hmm. All right. Well, how can uh, interested people get in touch with you? What's the best way? Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter account is at Coibanks, as you spelled it before, is K-O-I-B-A-N-X. Or they can write us to info at coibanks.com. Happy to receive yeah, any messages question. or any further doubts you have. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, I should have asked you at the beginning, why, what does koi banks mean? You know, I think a koi is like a Japanese koi fish in a pond, a big fish, but uh, <laughs> where did the name come from? Actually, uh, it's, a, it's the mixture of coin and bank, you know, uh, but written in a particular way. When we thought uh, how to spell it, uh, you know that there's a, a lot of the quick space that it's being and, uh, developed in the Asian countries. So the right. K is much more familiar for them. And at the same time, it's not so lineal for we Western countries. That is, we have, if we had written it with a C, so I don't know, someone over there is the, the name. But mainly we, we like it as it sounds. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Leo, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Richard. Um, the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.